Hey coach, before we begin, I just want to tell you about the Coach Calls Timeout basketball coaching program. We have hundreds of plays, drills, practice plans, worksheets, and other resources to help you succeed on and off the court. All the resources are created to make your job easier. We did the grunt work, so you don't have to. Check it out at coachcallstimeout.com. While you're there, if you like what you see and you join the program, use the coupon code PODCAST to save 25%. You're now in the huddle with Coach Calls Timeout. Welcome to another episode of your basketball coaching helper, the Coach Calls Timeout podcast. I'm your host, Dan Jonker, and this is episode number 46. Today we're continuing with the focus on youth and high school basketball coaches who are doing unique things. Today's guest is Aaron Fernandez, the Director of Player Development for Division I Davidson Wildcats Women's Basketball Program. There are three things that stand out to me when I heard Coach Fernandez's coaching journey. He packed a lot of experience into a small amount of time. He benefited greatly from a mentor, Coach Nathan Messer. And he's not afraid to try new things, which stems from constant self-reflection. In 2009, while doing his undergrad studies at Western Carolina University, Coach Fernandez came back to coach the freshman team at his alma mater, Tuscola High School. That was the beginning of his coaching journey. Get this, in 10 years, he went from the freshman head coach, then the junior varsity head coach, then lead assistant for the varsity team, all at his alma mater. After that, he changed schools to become the head coach of a girls' high school varsity team in the county over, then to assistant women's coach at Division II Mars Hill University, where two months later he became the interim head coach due to health issues with the head coach. That opportunity led to where he is now, the director of player development for the Davidson Wildcats women's basketball program. Let's jump into the conversation I had with Aaron. At this point, he's about to share the benefits of the mentorship he received. That partnership ultimately led to what this episode is all about, a great way to simplify teaching motion offense to your team. We're going to dive deeper into that as the conversation goes because I think it can help a lot of coaches of all levels, especially if you're a coach who's willing to dial back on the play calling and allow your players to play with a little more freedom and less to think about. You can follow along at coachcallstimeout.com slash 46. I'll provide the link so you can follow Aaron on Twitter, and you can even hit him up with some questions about the motion offense he's going to talk about. I had two assistants who I was going to college with um, who came and helped me. and It was a very collaborative effort as well. So a lot of my experiences in those first two years shaped kind of my coaching philosophy uh, in, in that collaboration sense with, you know, with, with your staff and that, Obviously, I, I wasn't that much older than the players themselves. So while I was trying to kind of exert some authority, I also realized that it had to be more collaborative and, and probably more open to listening uh, to them uh, because of it wasn't that much of a like a gap in experience or whatever. So that certainly shaped kind of my philosophy. And then was with a coach that uh, the varsity coach had been with him. I played under him, excuse me, in, in middle school, and then he moved to the high school when I. I uh, went to high school and, and was the assistant, varsity assistant, you know, all four years that I was there. So just having someone who I knew and trusted as well and could bounce ideas off of, but uh, but kind of trusted me to do my own thing as well was, was a neat experience. And he really challenged me. There was a lot of times that I, I kind of just wanted him to give me an answer on things, uh, of how I should do things. And he would tell me, you know, try it, try it and see how it works. And then we'll figure out if it's, if you think it's the right idea or not. So he really entrusted me a lot. And, so it kind of helps shape my philosophy as, as we go through. I think people will see that experience and what we're going to talk about. So, 
So it sounds like mentorship was a big help for you along the beginning stages of your journey, especially. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's funny because uh, I kind of shared this on Twitter, and I think it's just important to share with people that, like, uh, this coach that was under his name, Nathan Messer, is still there. He's, he's slowly becoming, I think he's probably pretty close to the winningest coach in, in the program history by now. But he, uh, you know, when he was an assistant, I was a senior, and there was an, there was an experience I had where I was kind of benched for uh, – essentially just poor play and poor decision making and I was very upset with that decision and uh, I couldn't find the head coach after the game to kind of vent to him so I vented to uh, Coach Messer and you know he kind of put me in my place after that game and and reminded me that that was very selfish of me to you know kind of take that approach and but what was cool is that even after that experience you know of him you know really letting me have it and putting me in my place after that game he continued to coach me uh, throughout the season and continue to believe in me and uh, when the opportunity came for an opening on his staff, you know, he invited me uh, into uh, his program and, and, you know, really helped me spread my wings. And I talked to him, uh, you know, multiple times a week still, even, even here, uh, just about things and, you know, sharing ideas and, and just checking in on their season. So uh, I just think that's cool for coaches to understand that if you're having a difficult player uh, right now or, or if you're having a selfish player or whatever it is that you're dealing with, you know, to continue to coach them, continue to love them. And, uh, you know, I think they can surprise you if you continue to give them opportunities uh, to surprise you. Yeah, building that trust is so key. It also it also says a lot for your own personality as well. I mean, it you didn't hold a grudge and down the road you were able to uh, work alongside your coach and, and make it a positive experience instead of going the other route of getting angry and making things worse for yourself and the rest of the team and probably quitting at the end of the year or something like that right absolutely yeah and uh you know it was a very frustrating time we we were losing a lot of games at that point too and uh but just really kind of just really helped to uh, kind of give me a wake-up call but reshape my perspective and then to see him kind of you know i'm feeling bad for the way i acted you know as a player and and he just kind of moved on from that and just continued like i said continue to coach me to stay after practice me and help me on things or whatever i needed it so that was definitely something kind of as a young person thinking I'm wanting to get into coaching. That was one of the first lessons I think I learned was from him was just like to not give up on players and to um, no matter how frustrated you may be or how angry you may be or, or confused by whatever they're doing, just continue to uh, love them and to continue to coach them and uh, to give them opportunities. I'm going to jump in with a little backstory before we get into the talk about simplifying motion offense. When Coach Fernandez started coaching at Tuscola High School in 2009, they were very successful and very structured. Lots of set plays were being called. Their team was talented for the first few years, and once those players graduated, they struggled to find the same success running all those set plays. In the midst of consecutive five-win seasons, the coaching staff decided that something had to change. Let's jump back into the story here. It was during that uh, second season of those five wins that as a JV coach around Christmas time, I decided to try a, like a five out pass and cut kind of read and that's kind of when read and react was coming in uh, to fashion. And so I, I kind of took those principles and we just kind of put in basic stuff, you know, pass and cut uh, back doors, you know, just kind of the basic stuff. And we began like click offensively just, just by those basic things. You know, the ball was moving around really well. The kids were finding driving lanes and, I think we were like five and six before Christmas, and I think we were nine and two after Christmas, just just by simply spreading the floor, getting our players to pass and move. So the players are now enjoying themselves. They're loving the new look. 
and the coaches decide to implement the same principles with the varsity team that summer. The basic pass and cut offense. No ball screens, and what they started with was regular 5-0 principles with a player at the top, one at each elbow extended spot, and one player in each of the corner three spots. This is where they started to develop the offense a little further. Dribble handoffs, backdoor cuts, kind of like mad scientists with a goal of simplifying basketball. They also did some research on Brian McCormick's small advantage, big advantage theory and picked the brains of other coaches online. Coach Fernandez and Coach Messer eventually added a forward trigger to help players understand the philosophy and also use it as an accountability measure. Attack space, create space. You have two things to do in this offense. Either attack space or you create it. I'll let Aaron explain what that means. The reason we came up with that is we just felt like for those two rules, there's, there's not always a time to cut. There's not always a time to screen away. We wanted to just give our players an idea of what they, like a term that they can use that will help them decide when to screen away or when to pass and cut or whatever it is. So we came up with a tax space, create space. And for us, it's kind of up to players how they're going to use that. Creating space is like moving away from others. Anyone who's trying to go just like pass and cut, you'll find that players get jumbled. Um, so creating space is just a reminder that uh, if I'm cutting and I cut to someone else's spot, like they need to do something else. And whatever that thing else is, for most people, it's going to be cutting, but it could be the screen. It could be just something else. And then attacking space for us is about like catching and trying to find a gap to get into to attack with a dribble. Or it could be I attack space because you are in the corner and I am on the wing and your help defender is like sunk in deep and there's a lot of space there. So I'm going to, I'm going to attack space by cutting into that space of screening. And then you're going to attack space by filling into my space because I've screened for you now. Um, so we just try to interconnect all those things together. And where it really came into play was when I decided to coach a third grade team, I found out this was like the simplest thing to do with third grade teams is we put nine boxes on the floor and we told them they had to attack space or create space for someone else. So by attacking space, they had to get into an empty box. To create space, if someone was in their empty box, they had to go attack space somewhere else to create an empty box. Just by using those terms, we just kind of created this like motion-type offense where players were constantly thinking about how they can create space and how they can attack space. When you say attack space and create space, that's not always for the ball handler. Like Attack space could be someone on the opposite side of the court. As long as there's, you just Absolutely. want movement. So, you constantly want movement as well. Yeah, so we always wanted players to be looking for space. So, for example, if I'm in the corner uh, and I see, you know, I'm five out a lot, so I see an opportunity to cut into the lane, for example. I'm, I'm going to take that opportunity. Players in our system always had that chance to do that. Or if someone takes my space with a defender, uh, you know, and this helps with, like, backdoor stuff. So, like, a defender climbs up into my space then now I, there's no space there, right? The defender is in my space, so now I have to attack space somewhere else. Or if I am helping you, like you're one of my scorers, like I know if you're a scorer, then I'm going to create space for you by screening for you. Um, and then by screening for you, I'm coming into your space, I'm opening up a block for you to attack that space, whether you're curling or, or fading or whatever. So it's just about always having the mindset of looking for space to attack via the cut or via the dribble. So yeah, it was it's there's nothing like a magic bullet or anything. It was just for us terminology that we use to constantly remind our players to be looking for opportunities 
uh, to score off the ball or, or with the ball in their hand. Is there any, um, I don't want to say rules because clearly that's uh, something that you're trying to get away from with this offense, which I love. Are the kids supposed to attack space or create space if they're stand- they find themselves standing too long or is it just if that space is available? Yeah, so I think like when we first started, it was more about just the cutting, just the simple basics, right, of just passing, cutting into the space. The space was more defined, I think, in terms of like I passed you on the wing. I'm at the top. I passed you on the wing. I cut into the space. It's in the middle of the floor. It's my turn to cut and attack space. The next person will fill. And then after you pass, you kind of had that responsibility of like attacking space with your cut. And I think that's a great place to start. Like, I would encourage coaches, any coach who wants to kind of implement, like, motion-style stuff. Um, the first year that we did it, we did nothing but pass and cut. We did post. We did ball screen. We did nothing. And I know that sounds like a, a pipe dream for a lot of coaches, but I, I think if they will give their players opportunity just with that um, and empower them to make plays out of that, that they will, if they're willing to be patient and kind of stick with it, is they'll be surprised by the results. And it wasn't until like kind of later, later in our in our progress that we kind of implemented this idea of like cutting to post up, screening away, of being able to ball screen. Um, you know, like I may screen for you to create space um, for you to attack because I know, and and that's the other thing I want to talk about in just a second too. Is I know that you're a scorer, and I think the big thing about this is just players knowing uh, what they are and being honest with what they are. You know, if I'm on, if I'm on the perimeter and you're in the corner and the ball is being reversed back to us, you know, my attack space may be to create space for you. Like we just talked about, like screening down for you or flaring if you're on the wing and I'm in the corner. You know, I may come up as the ball is reversing. I know my role. I'm not a, I'm not a shooter, so I'm going to flare for you. And I, I'm a post player, so I'm going to dive to the basket after that. So, you know, th- those roles come along with playing some small-sided games or playing a lot of 505 and understanding uh, what it is that I do best, trying things kind of out of my comfort zone and seeing what I'm not very good at. You know, as you first start this process, you're going to have players playing outside of themselves a lot, and that's okay. But as you kind of play more and more and you talk through it more and more, players begin to realize kind of where they fit into uh, the attack space, create space, and kind of what their role is. That was going to be my next question. I have written down here just roles, question mark, if that's if that applies within within the attack space, create space. So, yeah, that's great. I like that. Yeah, and, and roles, like I said, it, like the first year, we didn't necessarily define anything for anyone. It was just about passing and cutting. And I, I think where it comes is like in practice, You I, to us in practice, everyone had a green light for everything. So if you're not a great three-point shooter, but we pass and we cut and we drive and we kick out to you and you're wide open, then you pull that every time in practice. Because how is she, you know, how is she going to kind of figure out what you're good at, what you need to work on, what is a good look for you, what is not a good look for you? We certainly encourage all that. And then I think as the season goes on and, and kind of trends play out, you start to talk to players and start to talk to the team about well, who are we looking for? You know, when we're driving, who are we looking for? Or the ball is being reversed. You know, as we started adding those layers later on, as the ball is being reversed, you know, who are we, who are we trying to get out on this thing? We would like, for example, dribble at somebody. If I want to dribble at you, you know, if, if you're a post player, I can either pass to you or dribble at you. I'm probably going to dribble at you because I want you to cut to the basket and post so I can throw it to you. Whereas if you're a, like an attack type player, a wing type player, then I'm going to, I'm going to throw it to you and I'm going to cut and create space for you, uh, to attack. So it's about kind of just knowing 
uh, each other as well, and that comes with your willingness as a coach to let them play a lot so they can figure out who can do what and who cannot do what, and then those things kind of fall into place. Yeah, I like that with two two-word phrases, you've you've simplified things so much for people and for players that they can just play freely and as long as they understand who they are at game time, then it makes things so much easier for them to just kind of play, which nobody really does right. anymore. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and we kind of linked up the idea of like attack space is, uh, you know, the pass and cut is all about attacking space on every pass. You're like, right, we're cutting into space, attacking space, creating space for someone to drive behind us. But then as you build up things and you have different decisions to make with a screen away, ball screen, flare, whatever it is, you know, those are, those are the phrases that you're just constantly asking players um, while you're playing. Are you creating space? Are you attacking space? And so, it, like I said, it's just some, it's just a constant. I mean, it's not, it's not 10 rules of if this happens, then this happens. But if this happens, this happens. It's just you're right if you attack space and you're right if you create space. If you didn't do either one of those things on your cut, your drive, whatever, then that's not something we're looking for. So just constant reflection for people. I've always been in the past a fan of, you know, finding the hot hand, calling sets for them constantly, that kind of stuff, and almost micromanaging the the players in a sense. Um, One thing that I, I was struck by a few years ago, my brothers and I went to the ACC conference tournament um, when it was at Madison Square Garden, and it was when Jason Tatum was there, and they won the ACC championship. And at the end, when they had an interview with Coach K, his only comment was, this is the least I've done in a game in a long time. I didn't call a single play. We just told them to go out and play. And I'm sure they have this same kind of philosophy of attacking space and creating space and just keep moving. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that so much. And I think the big thing with us as coaches is we always talk about like wanting to prepare players for, you know, whatever comes next, whether it's college or real life or whatever that is. And, and yet, like, I'm guilty of this too. Uh, hopefully not as much now, but definitely when I was first started coaching, uh, we're always trying to micromanage things because a lot of it I, I would think was because of our own ego. I know it certainly was for me. But I think the goal of a coach should be to eventually your team should be able to operate like without you, like where you become unnecessary to the process in, in a way. So um, that's always something I'm trying to steer towards as a coach. And like I said, you know, my experience was, was certainly is at a public high school level. I understand that there's a lot of coaches who can't maybe don't feel like at their level they can relinquish control to the extent that we did where we had like no calls at all, like, we didn't have a call for the end of the game or whatever. Like it was about our players finding ways to create space for others to attack. I, I understand people's kind of the hesitancy to do that, but I think if you're in a place where, you know, you have the administrative support, especially, and you have a group of kids that you really trust, and even if you don't trust them, a group of kids that you think that you have an opportunity to develop or build, like I would encourage coaches to really look at, um, you know, trying to relinquish a little bit of control and allowing allowing players to kind of explore and kind of create their own identity on offense. So this flows and ties nicely into the next thing that I want to talk about with you. In your Twitter bio, you've got the hashtag train ugly. You've learned probably a lot of all of this philosophy of, you know, don't over micromanage and that kind of stuff through this, your philosophy of train ugly. What does that mean to you? 
Yeah, so train ugly is actually a term. I can't take credit for it, actually. It, it comes from Trevor Reagan, who uh, does a lot of, like, motor learning type stuff. And I would encourage you guys to check out uh, his stuff online. It's, I think I believe it's trainugly.com. It may have changed the website name. I can't remember off the top of my head. But if you Google Trevor Reagan, train ugly, you'll find all kinds of resources about, like, growth mindset, about uh, block versus random practice, about best approaches, motivational things. So it's, it's a really cool um, resource. And it's one of the early resources I found. Um, that kind of triggered my thinking of, of switching to small-sided games. And I think why I advocate for it is I think that us as, as coaches, we have to examine kind of our motives. Like, what do we want for our players? Um, do we want to be a joystick coach so that we feel kind of better, like, about doing what supposedly coaches are supposed to do, about manipulating and controlling things? Or, or, or do we really want to empower our players and, um, you know, I think there's this notion of what coaches do and what they look like, and it's, it's like pacing sidelines, it's yelling and running and pointing and drilling people like crazy to be fundamentally sound. And you know, I think trained ugly is is kind of the opposite of that. Um, I think you can coach players in a better way by empowering them, listening, empathizing, you know, giving them a voice, and that's what trained ugly is about. It's about kind of getting rid of the pretty type drill that, that you would see like kind of in a, in a video clip for kind of coaching and and just really getting into the a lot of one-on-one two-on-two three-on-three in different ways working on different things through advantage games or even just playing five-on-five a lot um and not stopping it every time that there's a mistake letting them play through those mistakes so train ugly is kind of just the opposite of what you would think of as traditional coaching where we're stopping a lot we're putting players in lines to see to, for them to execute these pretty drills where we're hitting certain goals or whatever it is, you know, like just these kind of traditional classic drills and uh, focus more on just gameplay and encouraging them to kind of take some risks and kind of discover themselves and what they can and can't do and kind of gives them a better feel of what they should uh, work on and what they have a pretty good grasp on. Yeah, I know in the entrepreneurial world, um, a failure is kind of a badge of honor. And that's that's how right. a lot of the a lot of the most successful people have have um, that's their mindset, and it's nice to see that Absolutely. coaching is slowly and finally getting to that aspect where every mistake doesn't have to have everybody on the sideline running suicides. You can learn from it. You don't right. have to Absolutely. punish all the time, which is I love that train ugly. That's that's great. I'm gonna have to look up those resources. Yeah, absolutely. I would encourage everyone to do that. And, and I think what was funny is that I went to school to be a TV major, and so we're learning about you know motor development and skill acquisition and those things. When you're a college student, you're, you're going to class and you're like, you know, you're not always paying attention to every little thing they teach you. And then when I kind of rediscovered this idea of like training ugly is, is actually you know it's backed by science. This idea that, that people learn through making a lot of mistakes through a lot of self-discovery, the things stick better through self-discovery, uh, kind of when we as coaches get out of the way and, and allow the struggle to happen, and we're not always giving them answers to get them out of that struggle. And then I realized all the stuff we learned like while I was in college, and I just never applied it to coaching because I had this preconceived notion of what coaching was, and it was the pretty drills, the, the suicides, the raising my voice, trying to challenge players to go harder or whatever that means, you know, just kind of just playing the role of a coach instead of being more of a teacher. Um, so 
Yeah, I would encourage everyone to look that up. That that is a tremendous resource. Trevor Reagan does a lot of good stuff, podcasts, TED Talks, all kinds of things. I really encourage people to look that up. So one last thing I want to ask you, and then I'll let you get out of here. What's one thing you wish you did earlier in your career that you do now? For me, like I, I, I'm getting my master's right now in coaching actually online. Xavier University is a great program. And one of the things that, that it's really challenged me to do is to kind of look beyond uh, kind of the surface deep notions of what coaching and what uh, being an athlete is. And, and so when I first started coaching, I know that I was very focused on like drills and X's and O's and like doing what a coach is supposed to do and, you know, having all my rules and everything else. And the thing that I wish I had done now, which I'm doing, or then, which I'm doing now is just getting underneath all those like notions of what, of what coaching means of, of how, how we treat athletes, uh, you know, how we, you know, are, are tied to certain things that we feel like are right, but we don't really take into consideration maybe that people come from different cultures, they come from different value systems. And, um, I just read one of John Wooden's books, and, you know, even he was flexible. He was a pretty rigid coach, uh, especially early in his career, but as, as times changed, you know, he, he kind of came less rigid with his, with his rules and with his regulations and, um, you know, he still had his basic things that he wanted people to follow, but, you know, he tried to loosen up a little bit. And, uh, you know, just this idea that, uh, you know, the coaches are these, like, figureheads that can't be touched and can't be questioned. And that's how I felt as a young coach, you know, after after I kind of settled in a little bit and, like, got a little bit older, kind of the 22, 23 range. I kind of felt like, okay, like, I'm in this position now. Like, uh, I'm a little bit older than the players. I have more experience now than I did when I first started Well, was, uh, kind of a little hesitant and more more collaborative, and I I've gotten to this phase of like I'm in charge and whatever, and, and so there's a lot of things I did early in my career that like I would never do now, and I was just kind of flexing my coaching muscles, I guess you could say. And so I would just really encourage uh, coaches to, um, you know, whatever their notions are, of what a coach would be is to always just always be questioning and always be deliberating and and kind of reflecting on if those are the best practices for your athlete. Um, and kind of why you're doing things. Are you doing things because it's for your own ego or are you doing things because it's for the betterment of the players? And I think if coaches are realistic with themselves, they'll find that a lot of the things we do are for our own ego um, when we should be worried about the players uh, more than our own ego. So I think once we get past that, I think uh, we start to see our athletes thrive much better. I love it. Have an open mind. Be self-aware. Absolutely. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, Coach, I'd like to thank you. Thanks a lot for uh, for calling in, and fantastic. Well, best of luck for the next four weeks. Hopefully it's six or seven weeks in the long run. Yeah, hopefully so. Hopefully so. All right, thanks a lot for calling. Okay, appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. There you have it. I'll provide a picture of what we talked about in the motion offense with the nine boxes and five offensive locations. You can go to coachcallstimeout.com slash 46 to check it out. This way of teaching is a great way to empower your players, which leads to a higher level of buy-in from them. They'll play with more freedom and less noise and distraction in their mind. You can start very simple, like Coach Fernandez did. Pass and cut, back doors, dribble penetration, what do you do when a player dribbles at someone, and slowly progress to more advanced concepts as your players master the simple things. If you're interested in learning more about this offense, I've provided a link to Aaron Fernandez's Twitter account. He's asked that if anyone has questions about teaching attack space, create space, just send him a tweet. 
Go to coachcallstimeout.com slash 46 to get the link. Are you looking to get more out of your players in your limited gym time? Check out our practice planning course that will help your players get more engaged and it will develop your team at super speeds. Just go to coachcallstimeout.com slash resources. Right now, the cost of the course is only $29.99. It may go up in the future. Or if you're part of the Coach Calls Timeout coaching program, then you have access to it right now. Again, that's coachcallstimeout.com slash resources. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe to the show or share it with a coaching friend. I really appreciate the support. I'll be back again in two weeks with another coach and more tips. See you then.